Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. Saturday, the 19th of January, 1867. Alleged bigamy at Bradford. Martha Ann Sutcliffe, who was remanded on Friday on a charge of having committed bigamy, was again brought up at the Bradford Borough Court on Monday. Mr Berry conducted the case for the prosecution and Mr J.G. Hutchinson defended. The prisoner, it may be recollected, had married a man named William Critchley at the Bradford Parish Church on the 1st of December 1863 and had contracted a previous alliance with William Sutcliffe on the 28th of April 1862 at the same church. Sutcliffe, on the 23rd of June of the same year, was apprehended on a charge of felony and sentenced to six years penal servitude. When the second husband, Critchley, began to pay his attentions to the woman, he was told, both by the prisoner and her mother, that she had been previously married, that her husband had been sent to prison for six years, but that she was again at liberty to marry, alleging that she had ascertained this at the parish church. Upon this, Critchley married the prisoner, with whom he lived some years, and they had a family she having also borne one child to her first husband. When the latter came out of prison last week, he claimed his wife, and she electing to go with him. The second husband preferred a charge of bigamy against her. Several witnesses were produced who gave evidence of the facts above stated. But when Critchley deposed that he knew she had a husband at the time he married her... Mr Hutchinson rose and maintained that by such an admission he proved himself an accessory. The bench, appearing inclined to take this view of the case, Mr Berry intimated that if the magistrates were willing, he would withdraw the charge. The bench acceded to Mr Berry's request and prisoner was discharged. The spectators in the court manifesting their approbation of the result by applauding. Sixteenth of February, eighteen sixty seven. Forcible abduction of a young lady from Claydon Nunnery. Some little excitement was caused in the village of Claydon on Wednesday last by the forcible abduction of a young lady from the nunnery in that place. We have been informed that Miss Rolfe, the young lady in question, went to the nunnery six weeks ago, not only of her own will, but with the consent 
at that time, of her father, Dr Rolf of Braintree. When there, she took the name of Sister Teresa. Subsequently, Dr Rolf revoked his consent and expressed a wish to take her away. The young lady, however, showed a decided desire to remain at Claydon, where we are told that nothing was done to compel her to stop. That she was not willing to leave her new home will be evident from her conduct on the two occasions of her being taken away. The first time was about three weeks since. She was then taken from Claydon to Braintree, but Sister Teresa, it would seem, had an idea that an attempt was being made to make her out a lunatic, with a view of getting her into an asylum. And she determined not to stop at Braintree, and therefore came back to Claydon. On Wednesday last, Sister Teresa was taken away for the second time, but not this time without some resistance. It would appear that the friends of the young lady had an idea that some force would this time be required, and accordingly, not only was a cab in readiness to take her away, but the services of several strong men, some of whom had offensive weapons, were secured. At about 12 o'clock, a cab passed slowly through Claydon Street, and this was a signal for the men to leave the public house where they had assembled. They went to the nunnery, which they found securely fastened. One party was posted at the front and the other at the back and attempted to force in the door, which, however, proved too strong for them. One of the men, named William Lovely, in the employment of Mr Traverse of Witton, who is related to the young lady, armed with a crowbar, made an attack on the kitchen window, the shutters being up, and succeeded besides breaking the glass, in knocking the whole framework in. The Reverend George Drury, who had received an intimation that some attempt at an abduction would probably be made, and who was inside when the window frame was smashed in, provided himself with a broomstick and gallantly did his best to keep out the besieging party, one of whom, named Rush, was armed with a large hammer. But he was, of course, powerless against some 20 men who soon effected an entrance. The young lady, who had run to the oratory and bowed herself before the altar, was afterwards secured. She screamed and stated that she was of age and asked Mr Drury to prevent their taking her away. But four men took her into a cab which was nearby. The scene which took place after an entrance was effected was one of great excitement, and not only was Mr Drury threatened, but we believe he was struck several times. Miss Rolfe was brought to Ipswich Station by the cab, in which was her father and another person. She was dressed in the habit of the order, and while she was waiting in the cab for the train to come up, her appearance together with the rumour that she had been taken from the residence of the sisterhood, naturally caused much interest at the station, which was increased when the lady was taken out of the cab, carried across the platform and put into the train by one of the persons who had come with her from Claydon. He put his arms round her waist and while she did not struggle in order to get out of his grasp, she offered no assistance. 
not even so much as to place her feet on the step of the carriage. Dr Rolf and two others got into the carriage with her, a foot warmer having been first procured for Miss Rolf, who is a young lady of very prepossessing appearance. Twenty third of March, eighteen sixty seven. Three weeks after marriage. A young woman who described herself as only 19 years of age, applied to the magistrate on Wednesday for protection. Mr Arnold inquired what had occurred. Applicant. I am very much ill-used by my husband, and I have not been used to it. Mr Arnold. How long have you been married? Applicant. Three weeks tomorrow we were married at Lambeth Church, and he has used me shamefully. Mr Arnold, it seems to be a formal condition of marriage in this neighbourhood, but he has begun very early at three weeks. Applicant, he began at the end of the first week, Your Worship. I bought a nice joint of meat, and he first threw it on the fire, and then under the grate. Mr Arnold, what does he do to you? Applicant, he refuses to give me any money. Mr Arnold, what else, as I cannot interfere with that? Applicant. He locks me in the room and takes my clothes away. Mr Arnold. That's to prevent you going out, I suppose. Applicant. Yes, but I didn't marry to be shut up in a room. Mr Arnold. Has he assaulted you in any way? Applicant. He has terrified me very much. He declares he will cut my throat and he is constantly talking of the horrible things he has done. He says he has been committed to prison seven or eight times. I am very much afraid of him. He is so violent and the language he uses is horrible. I hope you will protect me. Mr Arnold granted her a summons to be served forthwith. Thirteenth of April, eighteen sixty seven. A girl pouring boiling water over her father. The Correctional Tribunal of Lyon has just been engaged in trying a young girl named Marie Chanet of Bruyol for acts of violence committed on her own father in January last. It appears that her occupation was that of a washerwoman, and that her father had often remonstrated with her on the little activity she displayed in her work. One evening, some high words had passed between them, and the same night, the father, when in bed, was suddenly awakened by exceedingly sharp pains. He started up, and then found that the daughter was pouring boiling water on his neck and chest. He took refuge in the apartment of a neighbour, pursued, however, by the girl who continued to beat him with a large stick. The prisoner, in extenuation of her conduct, merely declared that she had been scolded so sharply that she really did not know what she was doing. 
the court condemned her to a fortnight's imprisonment. Twentieth of April, eighteen sixty seven. Flogging garrotters at Leeds. In accordance with the sentence passed by Mr. Justice Lush at the Leeds Assizes on the fifth instant, the lash was on Friday morning administered at the Leeds Borough Jail to George Haddock and George Monks, the two men sentenced to penal servitude for assaulting Mr. Joseph Waddington, Dyer. Pontifrat Lane, Leeds, and robbing him of five pounds and a gold watch and guard on the 5th of last month. Haddock, who is 26 years of age, was the first to undergo the punishment. He was tightly strapped by the arms and legs to a triangle fixed in the middle of the hall floor, a thick leather collar being placed around his neck to prevent the blows falling on that part of his body. A loose cloth which covered his bare back having been removed, the flogging commenced. He struggled hard to conceal his sufferings and made no howl until he received the fifth lash, when he cried in piteous accents, Oh, oh, which he continued to ejaculate until the eleventh lash, when he moaned fearfully and shook so violently that three or four warders were compelled to rush to the triangle to steady it and readjust the straps. The full number, 24, having been applied, the man was released from his strappings and, with a warder on either side, was marched off to his cell. Monks was next brought from his cell to undergo 18 lashes. He showed himself to be the harder man of the two, and gave no howl until the eighth lash. At the twelfth lash, the warders were changed and the remaining six strokes were administered, amid exclamations of, Oh, oh, oh dearie, and violent shakings of the body. He was then unshackled and conveyed by a couple of warders to his cell. Outside the prison gates were a score or so of men and women, apparently relatives and friends of the men who had been tortured by the cat. They were very anxious to learn how the two men had borne their punishment, and one old woman ventured to ask one of the reporters, ''Have you been to see the flogging?'' On being answered in the affirmative, she inquired, at the same time wiping a tear from her cheek, ''And how have they stood it?'' ''Well,'' answered the reporter, upon which the old woman exclaimed in joyous accents, That's grand! God bless their hearts! God bless them! This news was soon communicated to the rest of their companions, who expressed their delight that the men had borne their punishment well. You've been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time. <laughs>